Okay, so it's time for a new episode of the Remote Lab podcast. And today I'm talking with Stephen Carolan. This is an amazing guy who I met a couple of weeks ago at a conference, and he's the National Hub Network Program Manager. It's also called Connected Hubs, and we're going to learn a bit more about that. Welcome to the show, Stephen. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks very much, and I'm delighted to be here. So we met at a conference in Portugal a couple of weeks back, um, and uh, it was an amazing conference that collected about 400 people from 50 countries to talk about co-working. Um, and you're there from Ireland, and I just caught you on a panel, and you were talking about co-working places in rural areas that really caught my attention. So. Can we just start from the beginning and just tell me what is this work you're doing and what is the National Hub Network program and how did you get into it? Um, yeah, this beginning is always a great place to start, isn't it? On these things. <laughs> I thought you'd like it. <laughs> um, it so yeah, and, and the conference was it was, it was it was it's my second year at the conference, second year being on panels at it, and it's been brilliant, uh, great experience to learn from uh, all these other countries and what they're doing. Um, to speak to the Irish experience, uh, I worked, my background is IT. I worked as an IT project manager for many years, worked in the public service nearly my whole career. And back in 2019, a, um, a role came up and it was titled the Atlantic Economic Corridor uh, Network Manager. I think that's what it was mm. called at the time. So it was quite a mouthful. Sounds sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of it. But it 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 spoke to um it was a the Atlantic Economic Corridor. I need to explain what that is first. So um I work first of all, I worked I I joined this organization called the Western Development Commission, and it it has and has had for over 25 years. Actually, this is 2024, the Western Development Commission, which is a government agency, and its uh, remit is economic and social development of the West region. Okay, and the reason it has it came about or it was instituted was because um immigration away from our um depopulation of our area in the west of ireland so the western Ireland is sparsely populated in comparison to the east coast where where dublin is and there's huge populations up there so right. it was seen as, um yeah this agency was charged with doing what it can to develop the west of ireland uh, so we have various we have various teams that do various things. Uh, we have a, a fund that invests in companies and startups down here as well, down the west. It's called the Western Investment Fund. It would be very, it would be, and, and we have a, a policy team and another regional development team, and they'd be they'd be well known around the region. Mm. So this is the organisation that was advertising this role, and the Atlantic Economic Corridor. Um, just to make it even more complicated, it included a number of two other counties down the western seaboard that weren't um in they weren't in the western development commission's remit but oh okay yeah it was a strange one but um it's it was called the so this atlantic economic corridor became a is part of ireland uh, project ireland 2040 which is our ireland's long-term development policy plan for, uh, for for the country um and in that it, it was called out atlantic economic corridor was called out in, in a case study there as an area that was struggling and needed to be invested in. So mm. the Department of Rural and Community Development, they are our parent department. So they gave the coordination for this Atlantic Economic Corridor to the Western Development Commission. I hope this is mm. making sense. 
but it does, yes. it does it, it is important to understand it and the first project the first project that they felt was worth taking on and bear in mind that they're just testing things will this work here and they were prepared to fail on, on a number of different things before they got something right so the first thing they said would be worth uh, looking at was this idea of um creating a network from all the co-working spaces enterprise spaces research and development spaces across the west uh, western seaboard mm, how did the how did that come about like what was the reasoning um it came, for, it, for... Came, it came about actually the reason it came about was we have a project here at the moment which is well underway called the national um, broadband plan and this is about bringing fiber broadband into every house in ireland that's the ambition of it and ah. it's i was working for a local for the local municipal just count i suppose you call them um, municipality and uh, mayo county council is the name of the uh, it's a local authority so local de democracy and i work for the in their it department and i um i take on a role called the broadband officer role so there's one of those in all the counties mm. and your job was you were funded there to uh, support the rollout of the national broadband plan that was my background uh, it and networks and all that so i i knew the arena quite well um right. Under under that uh, project, one of the one of the key areas of activity that we were involved in, all these broadband officers. Um, so we formed a network, and we would meet regularly, and we would try and work on projects. And some of these projects we try and work on together. So four of us, four broadband officers, we got together. This and we decided, you know, to be a, a, um, fitting out four co-working spaces would be a project worth worth doing. Okay, yeah. and it all fell under this stream of demand stimulation for this disruptive technology fiber network disruptive technology right. is going to be rolled into every house in Ireland soon so when it comes in there we need our people to be educated to know what to do with it it's no right. good having fiber broadband coming in the door if you're you don't know how to use it or know what you can do with it or the capability of it so right. we felt this program felt fell uh, fell in under that and uh, there was funding available from the department of rural and community development hmm. So we applied for funding. The four of us came together on a joint application and a colleague, she's a now a colleague, she wasn't at the time, Deirdre Foss, she's our, one of our policy analysts and she's key to this as well because she's studied remote working for over 20 years. Oh, wow. And uh, she coordinated it on behalf of the four county councils and we got funding to fit out two co-working spaces and extend two co-working spaces, one in each county, so four. And we call that DigiWest. And cool. that's that's where the Department of Rural Community Development got the idea for, okay, let's do this up and down the Western seaboard. And ah. Western Development Commission, you guys are out there in the West, you have coordinating for all but two of the counties, but we're going to give you coordination and responsibility for those other two councils as well. So Atlantic Economic Corridor and all the projects that flow out of it, it's your, 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 your responsibility. So they then advertised for this role of um, they need a program manager to run it. Mm -hmm. So I applied for that role and I was successful and I was joined in 2019. So around May, May time I, I did, the, uh, I interviewed. So we were, you know, six or seven months before COVID. And mm. the thinking was already there, I think, is, is, is the end. It was being, you know, this idea of these co-working spaces realizing their potential was already well embedded in um in, in in our government's department and uh, okay. another important, another important thing to call out i think i don't know if i called it out at the conference they may have is um we are very lucky here in ireland that our department of rural and community development doesn't have agriculture tagged onto it because i think we're the only country in europe 
that doesn't oh, have really? any. Oh, really? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Because it drowns That makes a difference, of course. It makes a huge difference because what happens is agriculture takes over. Mm, exactly. There's a, there's a nod given to rural development, you know, that that mm. can happen. That can happen. But also um, there's so like... We, uh, I think we're, we're, we benefit from that because there's a, there's a focus on it. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting because um, some, sometimes there's like, rural development is also equal to agriculture. Like they're one and the same, and they're not. No, no, no. They're, they're, they, they, they deserve a, a, a strong strategic focus, each of them. Especially in Ireland, we have a, I suppose we have a very rural, we have a lot of, um, we have this, I suppose we call it here a lot of where we came from. We have a strong link with where we came from. And yeah. that goes back. There's a whole history behind that that we won't get into here today. But, <laughs> so but I would love to been... sometime, though, because I find it really interesting. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. I'm one of those people myself, so uh, I, I love where I come from. And I've mm. that's why I've, I've stayed working and living here in the west of Ireland. So uh, I suppose you know, when I'm asked, why are you doing this? I, I have family myself and all that. And traveling through the years you've seen people um educate their kids we, we have very very high levels of participation in third level in this part of the world mm -hmm. especially in the west coast but then they we educate them we give them a great education and then they go and mm -hmm. they don't come right. back so they've gone off with the best education we could give them and we don't see any you know them to, and they don't have maybe we've educated them into jobs where they can't locate back here so their location mm -hmm. is to, then they have to live around the proximity of where they work right. and that's becoming really really difficult in Ireland and especially around our big cities um sure. we, we have a housing crisis over here rents are gone through are through the roof it's really you know mm. it's really really difficult to have a to, to live in those areas now right but how's the like the um the percentages roughly for like white collar workers who could you know conceivably work remotely and blue collar workers who might not like, do you see um, any sort of like difference over the years in that regard, or like, well, are there a lot of white collar workers who just are not allowed to work remotely? Um, it's you see, it, and, and we have, we had our own national hub summit. Just to answer your question in a long-winded way, we don't we have, <laughs> we run a national hub summit every year. That our first one last year, so we'd have about over two hundred delegates at this in Ireland, or uh, mm. you know, stakeholders in this in the Syrian field. So we'd bring over some international speakers. Uh, so two, two, two of the speakers on the stage actually were, were at our conference as well the week before. Um, but there was another guy um, from America, John Odin is his name, and he's a future work expert. And mm. he's, wrote, he's wrote the book, Distributed Teams, which is a great book, actually. It's, if you're doing it, if you've been working this life, you know, you'll, it'll all be in there. You know, but you, right. I, I recognize that, recognize that. But if you're trying to understand it, it's a great place to go because it's all bite-sized bits of information. But he was mm -hmm. saying that he made a very, very, he made a lot of interesting points. But one point he made was about um, all these big global techs, so these knowledge workers, if you like, yep. and the companies they work for, making these announcements, come back to the office, come back to the office, and all this type of thing. And if he's he, he's, he follows the patterns of these announcements and he said a lot of these are still trying to figure out what is the new normal, what's it going to look mm. like. So it's difficult to answer your question in the long-winded way. It's difficult and it tends to be from an individual basis at the moment. So, yes. so it's one to one company is different to the other. But the one trend that isn't changing, I think this is probably the way to answer your question, is the employees are are looking for more flexibility. 
Yes. We're in a, it's an employee's job market. And if they don't get the flexibility, they're going to move on. Yep. Exactly. And, um, we see that in Sweden as well. Yeah. And even the public service, like the, the organization I worked for uh, previously to this was, um, you know, public service, nine to five. You, you clocked in and you clocked out on a computer and this type of thing. Mm. That's that's changed now, and they have like most local authorities. I think have three days in the office and two days at home. If you told me that that an organisation like that was changing that fundamentally, I would say you were mm. mad before the COVID before pandemic. So, you know, that's that genie is out of the bottle. So, and it's not going back in anytime soon. Mm, so it's exciting. still hard to put numbers around it, but um, that's where the trend is going more. This more flexibility. So maybe there's a potential there to actually have people move back to the West. Yeah. So we that, if you make it attractive enough, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's what that's what we've been about, really. That's one of the core things is, is to get more people. Don't we're not anti-city, by the way, either. Our cities are congested. No. Exactly. There's not an either no. or. No, it's a it's a to bring a bit of balance to it. Um mm -hmm. so that's one of the things. So we've done a we've carried out an economic impact study uh, across a sample of the hubs and in, in, um, mm. users in our sorry users in our hubs and there's I don't have the figures now it's not being published yet but we have a bunch uh, of stories there about companies relocating people relocating and in some instances the companies there's one great story in my hometown which is Balmullet which is way out on the west coast next stop is America <laughs> and a company there that um, well, one of their workers moved down there during COVID and she couldn't work at home, so she went into the local co-working space, which is ran by Udras Nagaitakta, which is an Irish language-based um, government agency as well. So they promote the Irish language and everything oh, wow. to do with Irish language and everything to do with economic development, all that. They have the whole list of services there. And um, so she started working. They have a network of, of hubs as well within our network. And they're mm. really well with them. They're um, a great, par great partnership. And um, there's now this company, Ipsos, I think is their name, and they have now they now have 60 people working in that town, in that hub, and they aim to scale that up to um, 100, I think, over the next few months. And they're going okay. to be based in, in hubs in, in Irish-speaking areas. So there's lots of this happening over here now at the moment, and uh, um, a, key, a key piece of work for us this, this year, and we've been doing a lot of research on it this year, my colleague, Leah Fairman, I have a team, uh, there's five of us running this project, so it's a small team for a national project. And I suppose at some stage we need to go back to why, where it came about and how it scaled, but um, we've been working with corporates a lot this year, uh, just trying to understand their needs. Yeah. And uh, what and for, to a lot of them that we've spoken to, it's their first time kind of getting an understanding of what a co-working space is or an enterprise space. Um, yeah. or, and so there's a whole education piece then and then they have to go ahead and think about that and then they've got to talk to HR who talks to cyber security to yes. IT and who do this and all those good conversations have to happen and but then it's going to it needs to be driven by some demand are they mm. losing staff are they struggling to hold on to staff are mm. are they do they need space in towns and they can't afford to be opening new offices every time that's super interesting because we've seen uh, we did a study uh, this spring um, about just like this, like what sort of because we did a mapping of co-working spaces in Sweden, how many there were, like how many providers are there and found that there were way more than anybody knew about and especially in rural areas that nobody just had, was aware of. Um, and then we saw like when we investigated them a little bit more, we saw that, well, 
a lot of these co-working spaces have like really big companies placed there. And like, why do they do this? Why do the big companies go out into the smaller towns um, and out from the big cities? So we did a study and just kind of mapped out like how many are there? And then we did interviews and talk about like, why did they choose this particular city and why did they choose a co-working space? And then why did they choose this particular co-working space that they used? And what we found in that study was that it was 100% to do with talent. Like either you had somebody that like worked at your company but wanted to move, so they set up a deal that they could take their work with them, or that you wanted to recruit somebody that lived somewhere else and you set them up in a co-working space. Because also they had, re like all of these companies, like 180 of them had realized that with co-working spaces are a really, really cheap and simple solution, like a plug and play office. We don't have to furn buy furniture. We don't have to get into like broadband deals or any sort of subscriptions or anything like that. And it's just easy to scale and it's easy to close down if it doesn't work out. Um, so, and it was th the interesting thing was that the municipalities that we interviewed as well, they weren't really aware of that this was going on. This is not a, a part of their development policy for the rural municipalities that we talked to at all. And all of the companies that were doing this, they didn't even know that the other ones were doing it as well. So each of them thought like, oh, this is a really smart solution. Let's do that. So I find it really, really fascinating that this is also the case that you're describing in Western Ireland, like you're like companies are noticing that this is a lot of space. We can find co-working spaces. We get a social environment for employees. We get all of that, you know, all of the good stuff of the infrastructure in the office and all of that stuff and, and the sharing economy aspect of it, of course. So that's amazing. And I, I would love to dig into that report and all of those numbers and those stories as well. <laughs> Yeah, it'll. We'll. Um, we, I'll, furnish, I'll furnish you with that in in uh, when we have our, that piece of work complete. We're actually designing it at the moment, so it's it's it's, it's near its conclusion. But um, yeah, that's what it's telling us. So we looked at you know a number of different things: the tax revenue that people working in these uh, co-working spaces were generating back to the government. You know, we want to tell them, listen, this is this is uh, this is good for everyone, and mm. these are high-value workers. You now, getting to spend more time in their local areas might be that might be their local village it might be the next village over or the next town over but their commute times are can be shortened which saves carbon emissions yes. and that's like why why be emitting carbon monoxide into the atmosphere when there is no need uh, i think the productivity kind of question has been answered as well i think people are probably but an, uh, just as productive when they're working remotely so long right. as there's a balance so long as they're getting their team meetings um and they're being you know they're, they're both themselves i think and their manager i think it's very important that any company that's remote working does train both the managers and the staff because i found even myself that you have a, to adapt different communication styles for each um each person that works with you nearly some people some people are predominantly email some are predominantly whatever they might mm. be using aims or whatever they're using or google or whatever yes and you know things around responses like how well when you should when you expect responses and all the rest of it and how to the nuances around this is critical this is not i don't need this until next friday this type of thing there's a lot yes. of training work involved in that before and that's true of working in a co-working space if the headquarters is somewhere else as well mm, absolutely and i think it's really like to your point 
being more explicit around you know what's expected or what your role is and how do we communicate and just stating like well i would prefer uh if you didn't call me like before lunch because that's my focus time and then i'm really you know connected and i can reach out and do whatever but it's just like formulating that for yourself finding that out about yourself like how do i prefer to work where am i most productive that's not something that we've you know traditionally been trained on because you know we have this work life where you go to a building at 8 a.m in the morning and you're there and whatever goes on in there that's work uh so i think that's it, there's a lot of learning to be done for sure yeah there, there was a lot of uh like i used to work in an area like that if everyone was in then they were being productive that was the thing yeah. <laughs> that was the measure <laughs> Yeah, they come in playing Tetris half the day, but um, no, it it is it's it's it's. I always say hard remote work is hard work mm, because sure. of all these different styles of communication you've got to adapt to. Yes. Um, but this, I'm just going to jump back in time a little bit. Um, you were mentioning you started out uh, six or seven months before COVID. What happened with COVID? How how were you affected, like in your work in this sort of connection work? Well, so I'll answer that by I suppose we started this project in two, in 2019 halfway through it when i joined the organization uh, there was a team of two of us myself and my colleague polly leonard and she'd been doing the initial research so on how many hubs are in the atlantic economic corridor so those counties all down the western seaboard so um like the department uh gave that gave us a charter of what you know basically the outline of the plan and then it was up to us to fill in the blanks but there was an idea and understanding from us all at the time that there was maybe 40 or 50. Mm. So we started and I, 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 we started mapping them out. That was, um, I've, I've, I've thrown the map, our map is on connectedhubs.ie if you want to jump onto there at any stage, have a look mm. on there. So we decided, okay, we're going to be the registrar of all hubs, regardless of their classification. And I'll talk about that in a minute as well, um, because a lot of them do different things. There's different yes. strategic focuses. So the 40 or 50 in around when we finished doing the uh, discovery phase, we call it a discovery phase, we found we had 114 hubs. Oh, wow. Now, were all 114 going to make the grade of hub and beyond the network? Or, you know, there could be some of them that are more community based and just listen, this is a new idea here. I want to get involved mm. with it and see where it takes me. So, yeah, 114 is the figure we, we, we saw, you know, over double what was thought was out there. So very much like your own experience. Right. And yeah. So we mapped we mapped those. We used online mapping tools to start to generate uh, a data set to underpin the work we're doing. So yeah. in the absence of having perfect data, uh, let's start with some data and add to it. Um, yeah. One of the challenges we had here is there was no agency or government department you could write to and say, can you give me the list or the directory of all the hubs there? I will start talking to them. That didn't exist because they'd grown up over 30, 20, 30 years, uh, maybe yeah. more uh, organically. And they had yeah. uh, different strategic focuses coming uh, over those different years. Um, some of them had been very community focused and now they're tagging on uh, meeting rooms and event spaces and um, yeah. co-working spaces in some cases. And uh, so that all happened organically. So they didn't fall neatly under one government department or something. So all that data, exactly. that data being there. So we had to build that up from scratch. Mm -hmm. So we started that bit, that process in 2019 and we began a picture began to emerge of the numbers and then we began to look at the different um, focuses that they had. So we needed to help or help government un understand what hubs do and ourselves as well um, understand and stakeholders kind of get a sense of 
you know, roughly where what strategic focus you 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 tend you have. So mm. if you're a rural hub, and like the one I described, I described as and if you're a rural hub in a rural area, you're probably going to be you're not going to have a lot of entrepreneurial activity probably in that area, unlikely. So you need, your strong focus is probably going to be community with some co-working pos- uh, potential as well. Yep. So we came up with this classification system, and it took a took a while to do this, and we did this in consultation with uh, with our stakeholders. And uh, it was actually the first event we we're going to do this in person, right? So stakeholders bring them all together to a central location somewhere in the country that's easy to get to, mm-hmm. and workshop this project, this um, this, pro- this problem, and see how we can arrive in a consensus. And it was right around the time, which is to. I think it was set up for some time in March, 20th of March, something like that. Um, <laughs> and this is this is February and COVID is hitting and we're will we, won't we, will we, won't we. So we erred mm-hmm. on the side of caution and said, okay, we'll try and do this online. Um, so I told the department we have to, we're going to have to revert to do this online at the time. They said, okay, can you do that online? I think you can. I think Zoom has breakout rooms. We weren't that familiar with Zoom. <laughs> yeah. We knew you could do team calls or, you know, calls back and forth, but um, so it was a first experience of using breakout rooms, and it was the people on the cons- on the ses- consultation session was their first experience of breakout rooms as well. So they were all getting education as well around wow. this, around this remote working tool, and yeah. uh, we got great. And because of that, there was a bit of a novelty to it, and we got great feedback. So we developed a classification system. It's available on our website as well. There under publications on connectshomes.ie. So the the hubs the the, the the classification we came up with was um, involved five categories. The first one is scaling hubs. Mm. Um, there's a very small number of these, and these are really, really big, big facilities across the country. Yeah. Um, usually, usually based in urban centres, but not only, not only, not always. Sorry. Right. And their um, their their focus is generally is on startups, running accelerator programs to help uh, businesses scale and reach their potential right. and begin to internationalize. So, yeah. so like might, an incubator. Exactly. So the, the but they also um I think over the years now have grown a uh, grown to see a value in having certain types, you know, certain sectors if they want to co-work in their in their facility, if they have that space in their facility or they want to maybe hot desk or use their meeting rooms, they see the mm-hmm. potential there in that as well because they could be people that could end up being clients of theirs at some stage as well. Yes. So it's a, it's a channel to market for what they do as well. Yes. So there might be six or seven of those in the country. I don't exact exact figures, but there's very small numbers. So that's scaling homes there at the very um very one level, if you like. And then the next level would be enterprise um hubs. And there'd be they'd be based in regional towns and urban towns as well, or bigger urban yep. centers as well. And uh, mm-hmm. they're um they're just maybe a step down from scaling hubs. They're running different they're running business programs again, startups, um, supporting startups, entrepreneurs, etc. And then yep. we have research and development hubs, and they're attached to third level. So they're they're about bringing their their students through this gateway program. They gave various gateway programs and and helping them with their business idea and growing their business idea. So we decided they needed to be a classification on their own because they're funded differently. Mm-hmm. Their Department of yes. Education, or higher education, would would typically fund them. And then yep. co working spaces themselves, and uh, they typically meeting rooms co-working spaces and mm-hmm. that's their main focus and then the biggest broadest church of all is the community and enterprise spaces and emphasis there on the word community and their strategic focus would be more community uh, mm-hmm. development but also having a tendency to so that's our classification system that helped us understand 
give a high level. They're not rules. I emphasize that they're uh, it's a kind of it's a, a guidelines for understanding how what homes generally do, and that was needed. Mm. That wasn't there before. So that classification is up to called the AEC classification system. So we're still in AEC mode at this stage. But to, answer, to go back to your question there, how do we change? We did we held classification uh, consultation sessions in late 2019, and they were really really important events for us. So we ran them up and down the region and invited mm. stakeholders from all over the country to come and contribute to them. So we got a really, really good picture from the people there of what they wanted from their network. Nice. So they wanted technology to, they wanted a platform that could coalesce around so we could brand them and market them um, mm. as, a, as a single entity. They wanted some, the burden of administration around bookings at the time was a problem. Everyone's got to book an engine now since COVID, but back then, not, mm. not many. Yeah, they didn't yeah. inquiry systems, right? But they didn't have fully integrated booking engines. So we decided that was a critical decision as well. We decided to you know provide this booking engine with them integration to their individual these are all individual hubs we don't own any of them that's key to understand right. the Irish situation we don't own it. connected hubs of the departments don't own any of them so yeah. we were kind of in a situation where we're leading beyond authority to a certain degree if that makes sense like we were yeah trying to convince trying to um bring these people along with us who really they could have said uh i don't think there's any value in your program uh, at the moment or whatever so we had to be very clever and we, you know, got people to get on board with it. Um, so Booking Engine was one thing we provided linked into their bank, their bank account. We don't take any transaction cost off it. And that's all automated. And um, that was one other piece of kit that they needed at the time. And then a big a big thing was they actually wanted to, more opportunities to network with each other. So mm. we call that the hub ecosystem. So my colleague Liam Horan works on the team here. He's a uh, communications guru, a community development kind of uh, guru, and uh, he brings the hub managers together. He runs various different events. Um, uh, we have these fortnightly phone calls, which are welcome to join, by the way, and uh, just to get yeah, a sense of. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, you can you know just go on there and just watch what's happening. Uh, so we tend to have a, a series of presentations. Actually, Annie, you might be willing to do a short presentation now. Liam is very strict on time. He's a strong moderator. Good. So he, yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he keeps people very much their time. So three to four minutes and mm -hmm. elevator pitched. This is what we're doing, blah, blah. Um, I'll be holding in some instances, people will ask, well, you know, can I get a breakout room? We love and we get a breakout room and push people into that if they so wish. So that's how they run. So uh so before night start, we have one tomorrow. So I'll send you on some links on that. But that's helped bring our community together, start pushing out updates to them. Um mm. Where the, if there's funding allocations available, if there's funding calls available from government, we will be able to provide a level of understanding to them. Some of those funding um, applications might uh, might give extra marks for collaboration. So they might come together as a group and that they score better. So all that mm -hmm. kind of begins to happen then in, in the through these um, connections you're building. Wow. We also, we also, for example, we, we there'll be small form small steering groups around problems. So there's one at the moment, the energy crisis at the moment. Mm. So one of our hub managers, Lisa Roundtree, has kind of taken a lead role on that, and she'll bring people together on that just to help come up with a position from the hub network. So all that good stuff, and that's that whole, that development that the summit we run every year kind of underscores all of that activity we try to bring as many of the hubs together and um get some great speakers out there which you know who are thinking about the future and all that and get some ideas going as well you know so that's a really a key piece, piece of it and our hub managers in the count in the country they're 
they're really multifaceted in terms of the jobs they have to do are multi-skilled they have they could be doing the cyber security expert in the morning the janitor right. in the afternoon and the business development manager in the evening it's right you know, isn't that always the case <laughs> yeah so wow um, so that brought us to that brought us to 2019 at the end of 2019 into 20 and at, the, at that stage we produced uh we produced our um our uh, strategic plan for the it was called the ec hubs network and that went up make a long story short uh that's that plan was uh approved it went to government and our minister took a view on this that this is all great happening in the western development or in the atlantic economic corridor that was what the mm. plan was for that was titled and she's her instructions were we need to look at scaling this nationally so we then had to wow. we then had to tool up to do uh what we were doing in, in nine counties but now want you to do that in uh in 26. oh my goodness and so that was team needed to be built up so um there was only me and um, myself and Pauline two of us at the time and there's now there's five of us and uh that's still a very very small team for a national project um and uh we've we're, our, we're through our first plan is over 2023 it finished up so we've got a new one developed and that's what got with the department at the at the moment but through this all what we were trying to do with this project was um get it to a stage where we would have, if we were successful in getting it to a certain stage where you had critical mass in terms of many hubs around the platform, how much transactions were going through it, all that, how much data right. was being driven or being delivered through it, that mm -hmm. we would get a national strategy with a number of different government departments uh, working mm -hmm. together. And that's that's uh, that's underway at the moment. And that's, we'll call that the national hub strategy. And that's uh, well along with the development um, timeline at this moment. So sometime in the new year, we'll be, Ireland will be launching a, once it's approved, a national home strategy. Wow, and, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to follow this closely, Stephen. No problem. Yeah, yeah, we'll be. I'm. I'm. So the government departments that are involved uh, in developing the strategy directly are the Department mm -hmm. of Rural Community Development. So they take one chapter of it, if you like, and right. Department of Enterprise, Trade, and Employment. They're obviously a very, very key department as well. They take another mm -hmm. chapter, so they take the enterprise chapter, and then. WC as the kind of the team on the ground developing the project we're taking the employment pillar is what we're calling it but it's really about the potential of the future of work and how hubs can be adopted by different corporates businesses whoever to uh um to you know to to go, to go towards their sustainability and then there's also the climate pillar of the strategy which is uh, department of um climate action they will they will send us submissions on what they feel should be included in it so um we're developing that strategy at the moment and we've had consultation sessions all over the country we've, we call them roadshows with four of those in person four different areas around the country and an online session as well then to rubber sample but mm. um that's that's that'll be hopefully going before our government cabinet in uh, in the new year at some stage wow that's super fascinating I'm, I'm gonna have to come back to you probably sometime next year and just like what's going on how's it evolving and what's happening because this is there are just a thousand touch points with the de development we're seeing in sweden as well uh, and i think we could learn so much from the work you're doing and just like what i'm hearing when you're describing the process and how you worked and how you were in discovery and then you were in more execution stage and i just 
I love how you're talking about like how you're co-creating this together with stakeholders all the time, not coming in as a governmental agency. It's like, oh, this is what you're going to do, but really listening and asking questions. And it's like, what will serve you? Like taking the role of the public servant to its absolute point, which is, I just, I love that. It's, um, it's, yeah, we made a lot of those calls on the background. I, I wouldn't have been a, a front of house type of role in the back in the, in the past. But I would have worked in IT in, uh, as a network manager, next project manager, worked with data set, data centers and things like that. So mm. this is very much um, talking to people. Public is like working the skills you pick up. I suppose working in bars and things like that in the in the in the hospitality sector. You're, and mm. then like even when we talk about some of the skills a home manager needs, and um, some of them are rooted in the hospitality sector. Like they uh, remember listening to um one hope manager we one of the things we ran uh in two when was it 2022 last year mm. we wanted to put a push on getting people in the door of the hopes so kind of a so actually our government minister came up with this idea it was an absolute nugget um the voucher scheme three free days in a hub worth oh. and the voucher was worth i think it was worth um 30 euros something like that so yep. three days 90 euros worth of vouchers Mm -hmm. so you could you could log on to the platform the platform dealt with this as well uh, automated it so it wasn't it wasn't onerous on the hub managers and i think that's something we we try to keep that as our first thing is well, how is this going to benefit the hub managers and sometimes there's a bit of give and take we have to try things pilot things etc and you know uh, in fairness they're 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 great like that they'll if there's once you explain explain what you're trying to do here and it's ultimately for the benefit of the network and them as mm -hmm. As a participant, they they're, they're usually very very um, willing to work with us. So the voucher scheme ran in started in July 2022, and uh, I think we just under eight seven under eight thousand vouchers were redeemed, and that oh. got people using hubs that never would use. So you'd be a mother and father maybe, and uh, you're uh, living in one part of rural Ireland, and next thing their daughters or sons were coming home for a weekend and using the local hub. And hang on yeah. a second, the light bulbs are going off. I could come down here. I could leave, maybe maybe I could work here on a Friday. So that means I come home on a Thursday, and that means I don't hit the commute coming out of the city. All this type of good stuff, you know. Hmm. But the hub managers had said to us, "I remember having a couple of these conversations. If I can get people in the door, I'll take them yeah. from there. I have the skills to do the show them around, yeah. make them feel, wrap that. Yeah, make uh, them come back. Yeah, yeah. Show them where the good coffee is, all that kind of stuff. So That's that was really amazing. Yeah. Oh wow. That's, yeah, that's, you know, finding your role in supporting the network, like, okay, I can do this, and then you have to do the other part and just finding that touch point. Um, it, it takes a lot of trial and error, I imagine. And I think that's kind of the key of what you're saying, like, don't be afraid to try things, do it in consultation and do it in concert with other stakeholders, but just, you know, pilot things, do things and see how they pan out. Yeah, I suppose I have a kind of my own perspective. Um, like the what's the last opportunity for not trying is probably you know that'll be the frame frame among the frame of the team as well. We have there's all the easiest thing to do is not to do something and give mm. the reasons why you don't have to do it. But uh, there's mm. massive satisfaction and trying stuff uh, and uh, but with good information with the best information available at the time. I mean you can't go squandering public funds, but mm. um, it well, as long as, it's, as long as it's rooted in a good case and I mean. 
um, like rural Ireland, we say the situation in rural Ireland is we're still, you know, population um, has, is beginning to actually grow. The last census has shown that the rural population in Ireland, in the Western region anyway, is growing, which is mm. brilliant great news. I think that's the first time since, I think it's nearly in 100 years that uh, I'm going to spend a year. It's the first time. time. Last since is the first time. No, it's not. That's not. It's a long time. Yeah, since the population has, has shown a, um, an upward trajectory, um, a significant upward trajectory. So, um, yeah, we need to try more of these things in rural Ireland. I think, and uh, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Exactly. I think that's key. I think that's also a perfect way to end this conversation, Stephen. Thank you so much for just sharing everything you know and kind of taking us through this whole journey and just understanding what you're doing and what kind of effects you're having and i just i'm gonna follow this very closely i was intrigued from the start when we met in portugal but i'm even more invested now this is just fascinating work you're doing thank you for sharing it with us thanks very much anna thanks for having me on appreciate it see you later